Galatians chapter 1 and verse 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul is speaking, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. As we study the scriptures and especially perhaps the New Testament, it is worth us noting and remembering how blessed we are to possess these apostolic epistles. Often, as they were written to address problems that had arisen in the churches, A false teacher had encroached on a young congregation or an error had crept in or some misunderstanding had gained a foothold or simply two members of a fellowship couldn't get along. And Paul or Peter or John or Jude or James writes a letter and We have an epistle in our scriptures today. Simply by one of these men dropping a line, as it were, to redress the matter in hand. And we bless the Holy Spirit for supplying these superb corrective letters to to, to congregations and individuals. 2,000 years ago that continue to bless us today. They furnish the Lord's people with gospel wisdom. They provide for us sound doctrine. They, They illuminate us with facts and history and information. And they give us the precious revelations of heavenly truth in the wonderful person of the Lord Jesus Christ and all his works. In such ways has the Holy Spirit provided these blessed epistles for us. And this is an example. Here is a letter to the churches of Galatia inspired at least to some extent by an attack from false teachers. And the Apostle Paul is compelled to write, we, we might say sharply, certainly earnestly, to correct the errors 
that we're being taught. So that thanks to the Galatians' folly, we learn of the Apostle's calling, we learn of his early ministry that is not recorded anywhere else in Scripture. We learn some distinguishing features of a true believing congregation. And the Apostle goes to great lengths here in a relatively short summary to insist that his gospel, the gospel he preached, the gospel of grace, was directly revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ personally. And I don't know exactly what were the accusations of these troublers in Galatia, but clearly they were trying to undermine Paul's authority and thereby his message. So here's a few lessons that I think we can learn from the verses before us today. The first one is, is this, that with respect to, or the, the first one is with respect to divine authority um, and the divine authority of Paul's gospel. We learn how upon his conversion, Paul did not go to Jerusalem to spend time with the apostles and to learn the gospel from them. Indeed, he relates to the Galatians that it was not until some three years after his Damascus Road experience that Paul spent a mere 15 days, and that was not all the time of those 15 days because we're told that he went in and out and preached the gospel and contended with the Grecians and was engaged in the, 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 the temple and, and was engaged in debating. So it wasn't that he spent 15 consecutive days with Peter, that he went up to Jerusalem for 15 days and he, there he met Peter. And, and we're told that he also briefly met with um, James. Uh, nor, he adds, had he learned his gospel from other churches in Judea. The Apostle's point is to insist that the gospel he preached was by divine inspiration and it came by direct revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So that these intruders, these interlopers, were attacking the gospel by attacking Paul and his authority and his credibility as a preacher. And so vigorously does Paul insist that his message and his authority is directly from Christ that he attaches a solemn oath to his statement. And he says, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. And that's, that's an oath that he is taking there. And I want to underscore this emphasis from the, appoint, the apostle. He, he clearly felt burdened by this. This was, this was a key issue for him. This gospel, this New Testament revelation, 
The faith that we believe is of divine origin. When our faith gets attacked, when people say, well, that's your opinion, or they, they ask us, how do you know that you're right and they're wrong? Or when the gospel comes under fire, or when people tell us, well, that was then and now's now, and we need a different message for today because this is a different age. Our answer is always going to be, Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. And whether that's from the prophets of the Old Testament or the apostles of the New, we receive this message as of the Lord having been preached to us according to what God has spoken in his word. And as the Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe. Now, some clever people, some, some wits, they speak about Calvinism and Arminianism and Baxterism and Fullerism and even Gillism. Well, I know where my allegiances lie, and it's good if you do too. But with all due respect, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ that we insist upon. And we say with Isaiah, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Free, sovereign grace was Paul's gospel, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of him, not of works, but of him that calleth. And just a little aside here, um, the fact that the Apostle Paul uses this phrase, um, before God I lie, I lie not, shows us that Solemn oaths are acceptable on suitable occasions and God may be called upon to witness and affirm the veracity of a testimony. Some Christian groups say that we shouldn't take oaths and we shouldn't uh, swear uh, uh, before God. Well, the Apostle Paul uh, appeared to do so here and I think that we can take that as a good example. So that's the first thing that I wanted just to leave with you, if, if I may, is the fact that uh, Paul is insistent on the divine authority of his message. The second thing that, that we can think about is the power and effect of conversion. And again, we can see that in Paul's own testimony here. The Apostles already told us in verse 13 that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And now he repeats in verse 23 how he persecuted and tried to destroy the church and the faith. However, the Lord Jesus Christ arrested him on the Damascus road on his way to perpetrate these very 
offences. And by the saving grace of God, Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. Paul had moved from persecuting the faith to preaching the faith. And what a change the gospel brings to a sinner's life. What transformation it makes to a person's conduct. Let us never underestimate the power of God to save and to convert even those we might characterise as the most dangerous and vilest of people. Because truly Saul of Tarsus was that man. And yet here is the surprising grace of God at work in an individual like Paul. And let us hold it to be true that no one is too sinful as to be beyond the reach of efficacious grace and the power of the gospel to save. Paul is speaking in the voice of the churches of Judea and he's referring to himself when he says that he persecuted us in times past but now he preacheth the faith that once he destroyed. And I just want to think, what was it that Paul preached? He preached the faith he once destroyed. And undoubtedly, the faith here in this verse is shorthand for all those distinguishing doctrines and truths that are revealed in Scripture. It's the faith once delivered to the saints, the faith concerning God in his triune persons, the faith concerning the everlasting love of God, the uh, uh, glory that existed with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, before he came into the world, the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the faith concerning the doctrine of man and sin and the fall. It's the faith concerning the salvation and the covenant of grace. It's the faith concerning true worship, the coming of the Saviour, his death, his resurrection and all the doctrines of Holy Scripture to be received and believed by the church and people of God. Paul preached the faith when he preached Christ's gospel. Once he had punished and imprisoned Christ's followers, and now by saving grace, he preached the faith he once sought to destroy, and he did so fully and publicly and widely and obediently, as was his calling as a follower and preacher and apostle of Jesus Christ. And here's just another little aside. In this passage, the Apostle discloses a number of things that we don't know concerning his early ministry and his evangelizing labors, that we don't know from other from example, for example, from the book of Acts 
or from other accounts of his personal testimony. Here, in this letter to the Galatians, we know a number of things that are not recorded anywhere else about Paul's early ministry. For example, we learn how following his conversion, he went into Arabia. Now, there are a number of places that were known as Arabia at that time, and it might have been any one of those that he went to. We're also told that he preached in Syria and Cilicia. Now, Cilicia was the region um, of, of Asia Minor where Tarsus was. So he had gone back into his own home area and spent some time there. That's where Tarsus was located. Now, exactly where he went and where all those places were is not known now. But what we learn is that from the very start, Paul was ministering the gospel wherever providence took him. And we may presume that he was doing so with success, attended by the Holy Spirit. So that these three years, these earliest three years of the Apostle Paul's post-conversion experience are mentioned here and nowhere else. And it's a good lesson for us to learn that we actually have no idea where and how far the Lord has taken the gospel to gather his elect. But we may safely say this, that wherever his elect are to be found, the Lord sends a preacher so that the faith will indeed be delivered to the saints. And here's my third point, and then we're done. There's a lovely phrase in verse 22, which says, The churches which were in Christ. The churches which were in Christ. Speaking about the churches in Judea in that particular case. But these were the churches which were in Christ. And that's a distinguishing phrase that designates the congregation's amongst the Jews, ordinarily, where the gospel had been preached and the true faith had been believed, and where genuine spiritual worship was being made. These were churches who received and believed in the divinity of Jesus Christ and the substitution, substitutionary nature of his death, the atonement and the efficacy of his cleansing blood, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his soon return. They believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I feel sure that this mark of distinction that the Apostle Paul makes here when he calls them the churches which were in Christ. This mark of distinction that, that distinguishes them from, from all others still can be used with propriety to describe the churches which are in Christ today. There are some churches today that neither preach the true gospel that Paul preached, 
nor promote the true faith that was once delivered to the saints. In the final verse we learn a feature of these churches, these churches that are in Christ. One of the features of these churches was that they glorified God for Paul's ministry. That is, they glorified God for the true gospel that he preached. It was a contrast to what was being presently entertained and tolerated amongst the Galatian churches who were starting to get restless and wonder whether these these uh, uh, intruders into their company had something to say to them that contradicted what the Apostle Paul had previously taught, this other gospel that wasn't a real gospel at all. So let us take on board this distinction that Paul makes about the churches which were in Christ. And let us always endeavour to identify with and support the churches which are in Christ. And let us, like them, glorify God for his mercy and his grace and for the faithful preaching of the gospel amongst us. Amen.